I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Chris and Kate, when, when Mackenzie gets a little bit older, apologize to her for us because that baptismal water was a little cool, I thought. <laughs> our scripture lesson for today comes from 1 Timothy and 2 Peter. Two short passages, one by St. Paul, the other by St. Peter. The first one is from 1 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 7. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. St. Paul writes, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And then from 2 Peter, the very last thing that Peter wrote in his second letter, 2 Peter 3, 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. <clears throat> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. The messages of the next three weeks will all be under the general title of Holy Habits. Holy Habits. And as I'm sure you know, all of us are creatures of habit. I learned this as a child, when I was a newspaper delivery boy, five afternoons a week, one of my customers would say, Bill, we're going to be on vacation next week. Don't deliver my newspaper. But on Monday, I'm riding my bicycle down past that house and just automatically old habit kicks in and I flip that paper up on the porch. And at the end of the week, who had to pay the cost of those papers? Me, just out of habit. Habits can be frustrating. Has this ever happened to you? My wife calls me at work and says, on your way home, stop by the grocery store and pick up a couple of items. I say, I'll be glad to. Then on the way home, I got my mind on other things. I sail right on past that grocery store out of sheer habit, arrive home, walk into the house empty-handed, and my wife said, and I thought you were a smart guy. Now, if you won't suffer, get in your car and go get those items. Creatures of habit. A habit is just a, a grooved pattern of behavior. Now, some habits are very good, like walking on the treadmill while you're watching the evening news. Some are rather hurtful, like using obscene language or smoking cigarettes or eating some fatty bedtime snack. One reason that professional golfers practice so much is that they're trying to groove their swing. Because you see, once they have perfected that swing just the way they, uh, they want it, if they practice it enough, there's such a thing as muscle memory. 
that'll kick in. And then they can just repeat it without having to think about it. And it sometimes works for professionals. Amateurs don't count on it. It is even more important to groove one's character. We can harness the power of holy habits, the power of habit for spiritual formation, spiritual development. St. Paul said, train yourself to be godly. And what he was doing is urging us to develop holy habits and then reinforce them by repetition. St. Paul may have been a frustrated athlete. If you read his letters, you'll pick up, he uses all these metaphors and figures of speech from the world of athletics, particularly from track and field. I got a feeling that if somebody walked up to St. Paul and said, uh, see that sycamore tree down there? I'll race you to it. I think he would have heisted up his robe, taken up the challenge. In verse 8, St. Paul acknowledges that physical exercise is a good thing. But he says spiritual exercise and training is much better because, as you know, physical exercise can only help you for these days here on planet Earth. But that's spiritual exercise. That's good not only for this world, but in the world to come. Each of our godly groups has eternal significance. Have you noticed that bad habits can begin almost accidentally, unintentionally? Ah, but good habits, not usually, not usually. They require intentional decisions for them to happen. More specifically, good habits require a pledge and a path and a plan. Good habits first require a pledge. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the original commitment we made when we came to Christ by faith, when we repented of our sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the original pledge. And that pledge opens our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. It leads to a changed heart. And several weeks ago, right here at this altar, many of you came down here and reaffirmed that pledge. You said here at this altar, Dear God, I am so thankful that your son died on a cross for me, that the central passion of my life will be to lift up Jesus and light up the cross. That pledge should lead then to a path or a lifestyle. And Jesus described the lifestyle in these words, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, after having made the right pledge and then set out on the right path, we're ready for the next step, which is a plan. You got to have a plan. The, the great wartime prime minister of Great Britain, Winston Churchill, gave us this proverb. He who fails to plan is planning to fail. And most of us have had enough training and goal setting to know of its value. Uh, the great motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, taught us that if you aim at nothing, that's exactly what you will hit. In other words, without a plan, we coast. Have you ever heard of coasting upward? No. If you're coasting, it's downward for sure. And 
the default people, the, the default position for many people is to choose the comfortable, easy path, which is usually a downward coast. Jesus referred to that as the broad way that leads to destruction. And Jesus called us to a different path, the narrow one that leads to life abundant and life eternal. Most of us, I suspect most of us, make New Year's resolutions. And that's good. That's good. But most New Year's resolutions are for our personal benefit, like losing 10 pounds or shooting under 85 on the golf course or making the dean's list in college. I'm suggesting this morning that we make a different kind of resolution. I'm calling them kingdom resolutions. They are holy habits that will grow us in Christ and benefit God's kingdom. Holy habits that will grow us in Christ and benefit God's kingdom. Just a moment ago, I read to you the last word that St. Peter wrote in his second letter. And it is this, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Kingdom resolutions grow us in Christ and benefit God's kingdom. Now, I'm going to list four kingdom resolutions that I'm considering on my personal list. You may adopt all of the four, none of the four, or some of the four. I want you to come up with your own list. Here is my first suggestion for a kingdom resolution. Let's build bridges between people and groups. Let's build bridges between people and groups. At her best, America is the land of the free and the home of the brave. But it doesn't feel like that right now. It almost feels like the land of the alienated because there are powerful forces at work in our culture that are out to divide us, almost make us hate each other. Barriers exist all over our culture, separating rich and poor, black and white, liberals, conservatives, Republicans, Democrats. And instead of discussing issues, lots of Americans today just call each other names. I heard about two old gentlemen who were in a nursing home, Joe and Sam, and one day they got into a violent argument. Joe was a liberal, Sam was a conservative. Joe went on this five-minute tirade. Sam pretended to be listening, but he was really preparing his rebuttal. Well, Joe finished this long tirade with a flourish, and then immediately turned off his hearing aid. I know of some people I know of some people who don't have hearing aids who do the same thing. I've heard of some families who have decided not to have any more family reunions, not because of COVID, but because people get into such violent arguments, usually political arguments. That is so sad. And we Christians, God calls us to step into that gap we desperately need to be bridge builders, people who can reach across the lines that separate people in groups, reaching across the lines in Jesus' name. St. Paul taught that we Christians ought to be in the reconciliation business. Listen to what St. Paul said. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the business we're supposed to be in. This does not mean that we got to compromise our principles. It does not mean we have to violate biblical standards, no. But it does mean that we've got to speak and act winsomely. Winsomely. Refusing to treat the one who opposes us as an enemy. But remembering that he or she too is a precious creation of God Almighty. And he loves that person intensely. There is a congresswoman from New York who is on TV a lot expressing her political opinions. I disagree with most of her political opinions. But the Lord is working with me on my reaction to her. There are three choices I have. I can shout at the television set, but that does no good. I can ignore her, but that's difficult. Or I could whisper a prayer for her, though that is not my natural inclination. Now, I know what the Lord's preference is. It's number three. He wants me to whisper a prayer. I even know what he wants me to pray. He does not want me to say, Lord, please change her political opinions. No. He simply wants me to ask him to meet her deepest needs. Meet her deepest needs. Somebody, God taught me a great truth through somebody, and I don't remember who. And it is this. If you pray for someone, it is almost impossible to despise that person. If you pray for someone, it is almost impossible to despise that person. We are supposed to be bridge builders, tearing down barriers, building bridges between groups and peoples. That's my first kingdom resolution. Here comes number two. Let's start each day with God. Let's start each day with God. Now, if you begin the day by slapping the snooze button twice and grumbling as you trudge toward the shower, friends, things will go downhill from there. It's hard to salvage a day after that beginning. But how different the day is if you start off with a verse even of God's holy word, particularly like this one from Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What a beginning that is. What a way to jumpstart the day. The kingdom resolution that I'm suggesting is that the first 15 minutes of each day you reserve for reading something from God's word and talking with him in prayer. And yes, if you have to set the alarm clock a little earlier, you do it. Yes, it would help to get into bed at a decent hour the night before. And... It also helps to have a cup of coffee ready when you first get up. That will stimulate your mood for prayer and reading of the Word. As you read the Gospel accounts, have you ever noticed that Jesus got up early in the morning, a lot of times, sometimes before dawn, to go off and pray in private? 
Now, if the Lord needed to do that, we need it so much more. Read at least a few verses from Scripture. Talk with God in prayer. And this request, you've heard me say this before, and it's worth repeating. One of the requests that I want you to include in your prayer time is this one. Lord, for the next 24 hours, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may be equipped to fulfill the purpose for which you have for me today. And Jesus promised us in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, that if we make that request, he will do it. Starting the day right is like programming a computer correctly or like making the first putt on the golf course. I mean, from then on, things generally go pretty well. You're launched well, and usually things go better after that. Here's suggestion number three for a kingdom resolution. Let's improve our language. Let's improve our language. Now, this is going to require God's help. I mean, if you go to the little letter of James, one of the things James does in that letter is ask a question. And the question is, who can control my mouth? And the answer from James is nobody but God. And David must have felt the same way because listen to what King David prayed. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, confession is good for Everybody, including preachers. So, time for a little confessing. My language is particularly stressed on the golf course. When, when I make a really bad shot or miss a three-foot putt, the word shucks is so weak, so puny, so unfulfilling, And fooey is not a lot better. (laughs) So then I have to remember, there's an unseen companion right beside me, my Lord and Savior, who is listening to every word. I got to remember, he's there. And my Lord Jesus has given me this command. Do not swear at all. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. And anything beyond this, comes from the evil one. Some time ago, I was at the Atlanta airport and standing there looking at that big board of arrivals and departures. And there was a man pretty close to me who suddenly said the name and title of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he didn't say it with a tone of reverence. He really sounded angry. And after he said those holy words, He exclaimed, my flight has been delayed. I suspect that if you had asked him 30 minutes later, if he had exercised profanity against God Almighty, he would probably not have even remembered. Let me issue a related warning. Our minds are incredibly marvelous computers far better than anything man can ever create they retain everything everything they see everything they hear it's there you may not be able to recall it it is there 
And if you feed filth into that marvelous computer, filth from obscene, profane movies, television programs, it is retained. And sooner or later, that marvelous computer will funnel some of it through your mouth. And as a result, the Holy Spirit residing in you may get uncomfortable in such a trashy environment. Our mental computers should be friendly places for the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're going to improve our language, we must resolve not to utter profane, obscene words. We must refuse to gossip. And then on the positive side, we must train ourselves to say at least one encouraging word to somebody every day. And we must grab every opportunity to say a good word about Jesus. That's the third suggestion for a kingdom resolution. Here's the fourth one. Let's elevate our integrity. Let's elevate our integrity. The word integrity comes from a Latin word. It means whole or complete. So, a person of integrity is one whose character is whole or complete. And in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon wrote, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are truthful. And St. Paul gave us this admonition, Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You know as well as I do that the news nowadays is filled with failures of integrity. Stories of financial corruption and stealing and lying and sexual offenses. And yes, a good bit of that seems to be coming out of the state of New York recently, but New York has no corner on failures of integrity. And my grandfather used to say there's some people who would rather climb a tree and tell a lie when they could stand on the ground and tell the truth. And sadly, that lack of integrity is still with us. Now, since we are creatures, new creatures in Christ, we are supposed to represent the standards of our Lord. And when we fail those standards and fail to repent for it, we are revealed to be hypocrites. And I can't think of anything that hurts the church of Jesus Christ more than hypocrisy. St. Paul said that we are supposed to shine like stars in this depraved generation. We must be people of integrity, not in order to make us look good, but to reflect on our Lord and Savior favorably. Just imagine if tomorrow you're going to make a quick stop by a grocery store, pick up a few items. You're in somewhat of a hurry. You notice a rather small parking place, and so you drive in there. And just as you stop, you hear your bumper rubbing against the fender of the car next to you. You get out and examine it, and yeah, it's a small scrape. You look around. Nobody in sight. Nobody saw it. And you know you could drive away. You also know that if you wait around until the driver of that car comes back, 
You might miss your next appointment. You know it's going to cost at least a couple of hundred dollars. But if you drive away without even leaving a note of how to contact you on the windshield, you're going to lose a lot more than a couple hundred dollars. You're going to lose a piece of your integrity. Several years ago, I participated in a funeral for a great Christian clergyman, Ed Davidson. Uh, he was a wonderful man, and he was a renowned deer hunter. And one of his regular hunting buddies was an African-American gentleman named Sam. And one day, Ed drove up to Sam's house and said, Brother Sam, let's go hunting today. The weather's perfect. Sam said, oh, Brother Ed, I'd love to, but, uh, because I need some venison in my freezer. But I promised a lady in town that I would come today and clean her yard. And then Sam said some words that I always want to remember. He said, since my word has already gone, I have to go too. Since my word has already gone, then I have to go too. When your word is your bond, you are a person of integrity. And that's a glorious advertisement for our Savior. There was a jeweler in the Midwest named Charles L. Tribble who was noted for his integrity. And that's particularly important. Well, it's important in any business, but in the jewelry business particularly because most of the customers do not have a deep knowledge of precious stones. So they can be taken advantage of. Charles L. Tribble was a man of integrity. A lady came in and bought a pair of expensive pearl earrings from Mr. Tribble and had them insured. Sometime after that, she lost one of the pearls. So she contacted her insurance agent and they said, he said, sure, I'll fill out the form. Just take, it, take the prongs back to uh, Mr. Tribble, have him replace the pearl, notify me what it cost, and we will pay it. They're insured. She took the prongs to that earring back to Mr. Tribble and he examined the prongs. And then he called up the insurance agent and said, don't file that form. I can tell by examining that I did not tighten the prongs enough to hold that pearl securely. So the loss of the pearl is my fault and I will pay the cost of restoring it. That is integrity. And when our integrity shines, it reflects the glow of the Savior who lives in our hearts. I've suggested this morning four possible kingdom resolutions. Now you may think of others. And remember, the purpose of a kingdom resolution is not to earn passage to heaven. No. Our way to heaven was provided as a gift when Jesus went to the cross. All we have to do to receive that is just repent of our sin and trust in the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord. Then it's a gift to us. No, we make kingdom resolutions to grow us in Christ and to benefit God's kingdom. Jesus urged us to let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven.
So this morning, I'm asking you to develop, write out your own list of kingdom resolutions. Keep them on your smartphone or someplace where you will see them regularly because St. Paul urged us, train yourself to be godly. And that training begins with good intentions that lead to holy habits. And in conclusion, let me give you just a snapshot of what good intention looks like. When the great architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, was 90 years old, a reporter came to him and said, of all the spectacular accomplishments in your great career, name your single greatest work. And with a twinkle in his eye, he said, my next one. If your kingdom resolutions lead to holy habits, you will glorify your Savior and your next days in service to Him may be your best ones yet. And to God be the glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, our hearts have no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, our prayer, our aim, is higher ground. Lord, lift us up and let us stand by faith on heaven's tableland, a higher plane than we have found. Lord, plant our feet on higher ground. Amen.